Oops. <laughs> Got to push the right buttons. So this Lent, we are focusing on the wilderness, on those stark places in life, those places in which we may feel abandoned, left without hope, hungry for a word of hope. And quite frankly, we have all been there. We know what that feels like. We know when we are in a dark or a difficult place. Because that is what it means to be human. To be human is to experience at some point in time, in many points in time, the wilderness. But it is also the place where hope is born. Where identity is tested and secured. Where who we are and whose we are are central. The wilderness, friends, is necessary, a necessary part of humanity. But it is not always sought after, right? We don't go looking for wilderness. No. Well, today we hear again of Jesus' wilderness experience. It follows on the heels of his own baptism, through which his identity was confirmed by God's voice, saying from the clouds, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And with that word of affirmation, the Spirit led him into the wilderness, where his very identity is tested. Forty days he wanders without food or drink. Forty days he watches the ants scurry and the fox feed its young. He sits still while a butterfly lands on his thumb and takes shelter during the rain. Forty days he follows the path of the sun by day and the moon by night, noticing how it waxes and wanes in its cycles. For forty days he experiences the vulnerability of being human, exposed to the elements, growing weak with hunger and thirst, lips cracked, body fragile, the pangs of an empty belly driving him mad. And he's lonely. And then comes company, maybe even at that point, desired company. But this new arrival only feigns concern. You're hungry, he said, but aren't you the son of God? Look, look, here's a stone. You can turn it into bread. You don't have to go hungry. You don't have to deny yourself. Jesus, you have the power to make this anything you want. In her blog, Journey with Jesus, Debbie Thomas offers an incredibly insightful look at these temptations. She says, the devil doesn't come to make Jesus do something bad. He comes to make Jesus do something entirely reasonable and good, but for all the wrong reasons. In the devil's economy, for instance, unmet desire is an aberration not an integral part of what it means to be human. And along the way, the devil encourages Jesus to disrespect and manipulate creation for his own satisfaction, to turn what is not meant to be eaten, a stone, into an object he can exploit, as if the stone has no intrinsic value, beauty, or goodness, apart from Jesus' ability to possess and consume it. The temptation is to deny the goodness of being human, much like Adam and Eve in the garden. Being human wasn't good enough for them. They wanted to be like gods. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted something more than the goodness of creation that God had given them. 
But unlike the first humans, Jesus denies his temptation to claim his right. Life, he says, is about more than appetite. Life is centered in God's love, not in feeding my own desires. So the devil tries again. Jump, he says, and let the angels catch you. That's what scripture says, right? That the angels will catch you, that God will protect you. I mean, what's the point of being the son of God? What's the point of being a child of God? If it doesn't mean some special protection from the evils of this world. I mentioned last week that I tend to fall into things in my life, you know, into jobs, into vocation, into school, into life itself. I, and, and I used to think that it was because I'm a child of God that you know, I'm baptized and therefore God has protected me from the bad stuff. I've led a relatively easy life, especially compared to so many. But it's not because of my baptism or the invisible cross marked on my forehead. This is not a talisman that protects me from evil. The ease of my life is a conglomeration of good luck and privilege and hard work. Privilege being white, being Christian in this country, being an American, coming from a family that worked hard and believed in education, and having the good luck to simply land in circles of friends who didn't get into trouble, who didn't get into drugs or a lot of alcohol or this or that. Now, things could have gone very differently for me without any help from me or from God. In many ways, like I said, I've just been lucky. Because being a child of God has nothing to do with being protected from difficult times and evil people, and many of you know that firsthand. It doesn't offer a magical shield that deflects evil intentions or temptations or illnesses or challenges. And while Jesus could have jumped and let the angels catch him, it would have been a denial of his humanity. Again, the word came into this world denying his rightful power and glory in order to be one of us. So for him to grasp that power when things got tough would have meant turning his back on those he meant and came to save. Again, Thomas says, if the cross teaches us anything, it teaches us that God's precious children still bleed still ache, still die. We are loved in our vulnerability, not out of it. So the devil tries one last time, showing Jesus the kingdoms of the world and promising him that he can indeed be in charge of it all. All he has to do is let the devil be king of him, which isn't much of a king if he has his allegiance to someone else. Now, we can quickly jump to the political realm here, right? I, mean, I don't remember who said it, but it really would be interesting if all of the politicians would wear their sponsorships on them like a NASCAR driver does, and that way we could at least see who's pulling the financial strings. But it, this, this idea of being beholden to someone else is not a new thing. And it's not just political. <laughs> The church has lived these lies since our beginning, being enticed by money or power, shifting theology to better situate ourselves to receive those things, then to
to serve those at the bottom. But Jesus chooses humility and obscurity, working in the shadows because he knows that his life isn't about him at all, but it is about all of creation. To be a king, so to speak, a ruler, a president, a leader, is to serve, not to be served. It's a truth that all of us quickly forget. Thomas continues, she says, If Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness is a time of self-creation, a time for Jesus to decide who he is and how he will live out his calling, then consider carefully what the Son of God chooses. Deprivation over ease. Vulnerability over rescue. Obscurity over honor. At every instance in which he can reach for the certain, the extraordinary, and the miraculous, he reaches instead for the precarious, the quiet, and the mundane. The thing is, as we sit here listening to this, that's all very well for Jesus. But what about us? What about our very real hunger? What about our protection and security? What about our loved ones? What about leadership? And I'm not asking out of petty desire, but out of a really deep need. Because I know that there are far too many people in this world who are hungry. And I know that there are far too many people in this world who need protection, often from the far too many people in this world who have defiled their own leadership. So it's fine that Jesus denied these temptations. But sometimes we wonder, to what end? Aren't, we, aren't our lives supposed to be better because Jesus came? Aren't we supposed to be rescued and saved from these realities? Thomas concludes, the unnerving fact is this. We can be beloved and uncomfortable at the same time. We can be beloved and unsafe at the same time which is really hard to hear, but friends, this is the good news. Whether it sounds like it or not, because we know that wilderness is a reality. Nothing changes that. Temptation and evil are a reality. Jesus' presence in our lives doesn't change that. These are the things that we all will encounter, each in our own way. It doesn't mean, though, that God doesn't love us. And it doesn't mean that God isn't with us through every moment of every wilderness experience. And it doesn't mean that God hasn't saved us. And it doesn't mean that we don't have enough faith or we haven't prayed hard enough to get out of it. It simply means that we are human. And being human is another way of saying that we are God's beloved creation. We are not the creators, we are the created. And we are dearly loved. We are God's beloved children. You are God's heart. And nothing changes that. Not temptation, no mistake, no illness, no ugliness. Nothing in the world changes God's love for you. That's what our identity in baptism means. And that's what Jesus came to show us. Amen.